Hello, it's Caroline, and I'm here to tell you that the episode you're about to listen to was recorded a long time ago, back when I used Patreon, back when I ran lots of different workshops and programs that I do not run anymore, and back before the Fuck It Diet book. So if I refer to any of these obsolete offerings while you're listening, just know that even though my Patreon and other programs don't exist anymore, you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck It Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. At a certain point, um, am I allowed to stop like introducing this podcast? Like, am I allowed to just like let it exist without having to talk about what it is? That's a real question because I don't know the answer, but I'm just going to pretend that the answer is yes, and I'm just not going to tell you what you're listening to or who I am, and you're just going to have to live with the uncertainty and let it make you a stronger person. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm really not going to tell you what this is because you already fucking know, right? My name is Caroline Dooner, and you're listening to the podcast that you know you're listening to. Um... This is a podcast. It's called the Fuckadite Radio or the Ephodite Radio, as far as iTunes is concerned, because iTunes censors curse words, which is very annoying. Um, which is also why when I write blog posts now, which are integrated with my episodes, I can't curse in them because otherwise they will take down my whole podcast. Okay. Um, this podcast is all about healing your relationship with food. It is for people who have been dieting for a long time and finally understand on some level that it's not working. And this podcast is going to teach you how to get out of that cycle because dieting is making everything worse. Makes everything worse. Okay. So I'm going to go right into what I usually do, which is read my latest post. I also usually answer listener questions, but guys, there were no listener questions this month, which, um, you know, it is what it is. I would love to ask um, anyone who listens and who would like me to begin having conversations with other people in the non-diet and health at every size and body positive community, if there's anything, anyone in particular who you would like me to chat with on this podcast, please let me know. You can email me at caroline at carolineduner.com. I have some ideas of my own, but I think it's time to move in the direction of bringing other people into the conversation. I That's how I started this podcast, and then I sort of went in a solo um, lecturer uh, direction, which was great. It served its purpose. It was what I needed. It's um, hopefully has been nice and helpful. However, I think it's time to um, to expand in another direction. So this is something that I'm assuming that's going to happen 
a little bit, maybe like a couple months after the dust settles with my book coming out. It is, today is February 1st. My book comes out on March 26th. So it is coming and I'm not sure yet how it's going to change things for me. I'm, it might not at all, but it, it also might. And I'm just trying to see what makes sense timeline wise. So that's something that I'm thinking is going to be coming up. Me actually having conversations with people on this podcast again. So again, if you have anybody in mind who you would definitely like me to talk to, let me know. Um, let's get into this. Oh, because other people's perspectives are important, (laughs) obviously. And this week's, no, not a week. This month, I do not write weekly blog posts. This month's blog post is called, I am not an authority on body image. And here we go. I started writing about how to heal from disordered eating and body hatred seven years ago. Seven years ago. Back when I was fucking sick of being afraid of rice and being full and gaining weight. My life was hijacked by the obsession with beauty and thinness and health and purity, and I was fucking over it. I did not start this website to become Instagram famous, which only my Instagram has only gone up exponentially in the last like year, essentially, or to be a thought leader in quotes or an influencer in the space. Ew, gross, weird. Um, I didn't set out to work with people. <laughs> Like that was not, I didn't think I was ever going to be working with people or running groups or workshops or courses. And I definitely didn't think I was going to have a book coming out on not dieting. At the beginning, I was just a writer and I was anonymous for the first three years. My name is Caroline Hagen, as in Hagen does. I was just fucking exhausted of diet culture and my own fucking brain. And I felt very strongly that I needed to write about it for my own sake on a little blog that no one read that I named the fuck it diet. And I was shocked that the fuck was not taken. I didn't know about Margaret Cho's joke. I talk about that all the time because I have this like insecurity about it that she's going to like come after me, which, you know, isn't going to happen. And I did write to her guys. I wrote to her long, long ago because I was worried, but I shouldn't be okay moving on. But anyway, I was shocked that the that the website wasn't taken because I was like, shouldn't, shouldn't this be a thing? Like, shouldn't the fuck it diet already be a thing that, that people are writing about? And, and it wasn't. And so I started, okay. Da, 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 da. I was writing about what I was applying to myself as I clawed my way out of the miserable hole I was in. We all just need to fucking eat and rebel against absurd beauty standards. I kept writing and learning and eating and writing. Eventually, I put together workshops and courses teaching some of the ways that I helped myself process fear and resistance and get away from diet culture. I have always had a special interest in the way that we avoid our bodies and our emotions and in that way, our humanity, plus working through all of the specific and destructive subconscious cultural beliefs we are operating under the need to get the fuck out. I have never written a blog post with this many fucks in it before. And they're all bleeped out 
in um, the actual text. Okay, my expertise, what I have become a sort of expert in, at least in a small way, is on how we are afraid of our hunger and how that will always mess up our eating. And a huge part of that, if not the core underlying factor, is our fear of our bodies and our cultural fear of and misconceptions about fatness. That's always been clear to me ever since I started writing about this, and ever since I started healing my own relationship to food and weight, that fat phobia is the reason we are messed up around food and the reason we fear gaining weight above anything else. Still, no matter how much I care or how important it is to me, I will always inherently have blind spots in writing about the full scope of these issues because of my many privileges. It's just a fact. I am not an ultimate authority on body image, body acceptance, body positivity, or fat liberation especially. Even though I know how important these things are and I refer to them all of the time in my work because you can't untangle them from what I talk about. My thin privilege, the fact that I genetically have a thin weight set range and no matter how much I've ever eaten, I have not gone over a certain thin, however curvy weight, you know, it's all relative, but this assumption that we, I'm going off script, this assumption that we have that our weight is fully within our control and that everybody is meant to be thin is incorrect and based on so many misconceptions and so much misinformation about weight and health, okay? So my thin privilege, the privilege that I have, the luck that I have um, being born in a thin body, and that's genetics. My mother is the same way. My family is the same way. We're genetically thin. No matter how much people think that it's their own doing that's you know, making them thin and that they know something that other people don't know or they're doing something right. That's not how it works. Okay. My thin privilege inherently becomes one of my shortcomings on the subject. In the big picture, me learning to accept my body and writing about that really isn't that radical because I've always been on the natural, I've always naturally been on the thinner side. And even when I've yo-yoed a lot, which I did constantly for 10 years, I've always had thin privilege because it's always been within a thinner range. A thin girl saying, stop dieting. We should all be allowed to get full and gain weight. Feels safer to people. But it still doesn't feel that safe to some people because people still tell me I'm giving dangerous, irresponsible advice. But if I were fatter, saying the exact same thing, so many more people would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop trying to make excuses for your lack of willpower and your laziness. Stop glorifying obesity. Stop leading people into disease. And then they'd probably tell me to die of heart disease along with other explicit and aggressive threats. And, you know, my fear now that, that I just sort of like trivialize that, it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. And it's rampant and it happens all of the time. Um, I have always been able to say things that people in larger bodies also say. And people listen to me because they assume that the fuck it diet is working for me because I'm thin. 
And this is based on major misinformation about how much control we have over our weight in the first place and what weight means about us and about our health and our habits and all the other shit that our culture teaches us about weight and fatness. So that is one of the first problematic things. I've been given a voice and a platform, a platform that that grows because of the systemic prejudice I'm trying to talk about and that I talk about or that I refer to in the very least. The assumptions we make about people based on their size. The assumption that I'm doing something right and that fatter people are doing something wrong. Also, the fuck a diet is meant to be for everybody. Everybody and everybody and every size. The instructions are the same, but one piece of those instructions is to rebel against societal beauty standards. And a fat person learning to rebel against society is going to come with a is going to experience a lot more pain and pushback. I have to change that word. Experience. It's okay. A fat person learning to rebel against society is is. I'm just making sure that I'm actually writing the sentence correctly, but now I'm diminishing the meaning of it by fucking editing it while I say it. A fat person learning to rebel against society will experience a lot more pain and pushback than me or another thin person being like, oh, I finally accept my size F boobs even though I don't look like the delicate Disney princess I always hoped I could become. It is radical for anyone to rebel against intentional weight loss in a culture that's obsessed with tininess, but pretending like it's the same for everybody is incorrect. And it erases the trauma and cruelty and pervasiveness of weight stigma and fat phobia. The only semi-good thing that I can see, or at least that I tell myself or hope, about the fuck it diet seeming like some accessible, trendy pop thing right now, and this is problematic in and of itself, is that I hope that it can be an entry point for people who've never heard about it before and are not really open to it to learn about inclusive, real body positivity, that if it seems palatable at first to the masses of chronic dieters who begin reading because they want to learn how to stop binging and being obsessed with food, that that gives me an opportunity to explain the underlying core issues. Fat phobia, Uh, which means, I'm like changing what I'm saying. I'm like, I always do this. I write something and then I decide that it would be better if I went off script and like changed the way I explain the sentences, which is stupid because then I just get confused, okay? What I'm trying to say is hopefully that means that people who have not learned that our fat phobia is the issue with our eating and that it is a matter of social justice plus all the other misconceptions about weight and health will hear it. It is an entry point to go deeper. But I understand that even that is problematic because I get to do the work of pointing at the problem while still benefiting from the problem. And still, I usually write right here on my blog and in this podcast about pretty entry-level things for a reason. 
Because the way I see it and the way I've seen it is that that's where I have to start and that that's where readers have to start. Let me explain the first thing that's happening to you, that your body is wired against diets and that you're not an unstoppable food monster. And then the deeper we go, the more I can unravel and explain once you're on board with the first concept. And I assume, either correctly or incorrectly, that that is the best way to explain things that people don't want to hear is to start with things that are easier to hear. And again, I don't know whether that's good or bad. Okay, another one of my shortcomings is that body politics and body autonomy and body positivity extend beyond weight and intersect with disability, chronic illness, race, gender, and sexuality. And that is, again, not my area of expertise. Except for chronic illness, which is a piece of my story, I am a thin, white, able-bodied cis which means I was born in the body that I identify with, meaning I was born in a female body. I'm making sure that I'm actually using the correct words, female body, and I identify as being a woman. Um, blah, 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 which is a privilege because isn't it great to fit in with the, you know, scary conservative people if I really needed to, you know? Okay. Um, uh, And straight, I'm a straight woman, whose major misery was being incessantly catcalled in middle school for having big boobs by scary adult men on the street, which was horrible and traumatizing and a major problem. But also that in high school and college and after college, I wasn't skinny enough to be cast as the ingenue when I was auditioning for a professional musical theater role. So I fucking get it. It's all relative. Did that traumatize me and make me hate myself? Yes, actually. Uh, but like, I get it. Uh, I wasn't pretty enough to be the prettiest person in the play. <laughs> I get it. But if that was able to traumatize me, What does that mean for other people who have way less privilege, who don't even have the money to make ends meet, who are the victims of constant harassment and abuse for the color of their skin or the size of their body? Policing people's bodies and having a culture where some bodies are seen as superior or more acceptable overlaps with the privilege of whiteness and ability and sexual orientation, that there are that there is a ruling class, that there are standards of having a body and being a person in this world that are safer and treated better. But this is an area that I still need to learn and listen when people with different knowledge and different experiences talk because because of my privilege and because I'm able to understand that this is happening without experiencing it firsthand. And if I began writing about overlapping intersectional oppression and marginalization in any other way than the way that I just said it, just pointing out that they're connecting and also that stigma inherently affects our health and our quality of life, which I do talk about and I do mention and I do talk about in the book and everything, If I tried to expand upon this, 
it would fall very, very short because I simply don't have the lived experience or the expertise or the language and we need to be listening to the people who do. The other shortcoming in my message and my writing is addressing how poverty affects people's relationship with food because it does. Though I've always been writing for privileged people who've had the means and the money to spend on going on diets in the first place. Um, you know, and those people need to hear what I have to say. However, um, where am I? Uh, it is also important to point out that not having enough money to make ends meet and being stressed over the price of food creates an environment of food scarcity which affects our bodies, our actual appetite, and our relationship with food. And not to mention that the stress alone negatively affects our health, independent of our weight, but people are still being blamed for their health and their weight and overtly told to diet as if that will cure them. Both things, or all three things, that perpetuate the cycle of blame and stress and health problems. My book that's coming out does talk about these concepts or it introduces them in the very least because they're important and because it is impossible to untangle all of these pieces from the reason that we are fucked up with food. But again, especially as far as radical body positivity goes, the book is inherently limited just because of my own personal experience and my own personal body and what it means to be a thin person saying what I'm saying. I do see the fuck it diet as an entry point for body positivity, an intro to radical body positivity and an intro to the importance of body politics as a social justice issue. I know that the fuck it diet helps chronic dieters heal their relationship with food. And my writing and lessons lean into what I, I know a lot about and what I can write about in my sleep, which is how dieting fucks over our bodies and our deep irrational fear of our hunger and our appetites and our fear of food and our avoidance of feeling our bodies and our emotions and of how to begin to untangle and become aware of the destructive beliefs that we've learned about food and weight and beauty and worth. But as far as writing about the fat experience and the intersection between other areas of oppression, disability, race, gender identity, and sexuality, and writing about food for people with actual food scarcity, those things are not my expertise and they are important. And because I know that there are inherent shortcomings in my perspective and work, I have been creating a resource list for the book that is not completed yet because there are lots of submissions to work through and to figure out the best way to organize it and to figure out how extensive it makes sense to have it, etc., etc., etc. But for now, here is a diver- it here is a list of diverse body positive activists and writers that I hope you follow and in the actual blog post and I think in the actual show notes in the episode notes there are links to their Instagram accounts accounts 
I'm going to read off the list, but if you would like to find the actual links, you can find that on my site or in the show notes on the actual episode that you're listening to. Here is the list. Jess Baker, author of Land Whale and Things No One Will Tell Fat Girls. And on Instagram, she's the militant baker. Virgie Tovar, author of You Have the Right to Remain Fat. Megan Jane Crabb, also known as Body Posy Panda, author of Body Positive Power. Imogen Fox, a queer disabled woman serving up radical body politics. In some cases, I let the descriptor be their own descriptor from Instagram. So I wasn't putting words in their mouth or labeling them. I was hoping to allow them to introduce and label themselves. Your fat friend, Y-R-F-A-T friend, anonymous essayist. I started following her on Twitter, but she is also on Instagram. And I was just linking to Instagram just for streamline simplicity's sake nicole mcdermott i link to her i think okay it's the embodied journey on instagram social worker and eating disorder recovery coach dana falsetti weight inclusive yoga teacher she used to be nola trees um but she is moving away from that and she is a yoga teacher it is pay what you can practice with dana on instagram sonali I'm going to say her name wrong and I hate myself for it. Sonali, well, she's really just Sonali on on Instagram, but her last name is Rashatwar, which I'm probably pronouncing incorrectly and I hope that people hope that people correct me so I can correct it on here. She's the fat sex therapist on Instagram and she says that she's a non or see Okay, she and they. I think she goes by she and they pronouns. So I hope I'm not incorrect in saying she. I get lots of things wrong and I want to be corrected. Non-binary BEM, trauma therapist, rad fat politic. Ashley Bennett is the body image therapist on Instagram. She's an online counselor and art psychotherapist. And her stuff is wonderful and beautiful. And I love it. And I repost it all the time. Beauty Redefined is a nonprofit promoting body image resilience by twins Lindsay and Lexi Kite. They both have PhDs. Their work is wonderful. It's all about being an instrument and not an object. And that, and I really resonate with this a lot, that though it's wonderful to as part of body positivity and trying to change your body image to when people post a lot of images of themselves and selfies and images of their bodies. And that is really important. And I really think that that's healing when, especially when bodies that we're not used to seeing actually featured in the media, we get to see, I think that that's incredibly important and healing and has definitely helped me so, so much but they take the time to talk about how in a way there's a way of looking at that where we are trying to convince ourselves that we are beautiful which is important but it's still putting beauty on a pedestal it's still making the paradigm for worthiness beauty so even though it's incredibly important for us to have diverse models and actors and CEOs um, and 
be able to see representation and how important that is for everybody, putting the, putting the um, currency on beauty is still inherently problematic and, and not as empowering as it could be if we realize that our worth will always, always, always go so much deeper than beauty. So anyway, I, I like the way that they that they explain it and that they word it. So that's beauty redefined. Next, um, Anna Sweeney is a disabled non-diet dietitian. She has wonderful quotes on Instagram and she is really, really great. And she's in a wheelchair and her perspective is, is wonderful. There's Reagan Chastain, who is a fat activist and athlete and her her website is Dances with Fat. She's a dancer. She's training for an Ironman. She's amazing. And her writing is really wonderful. And I've read her for a really long time. But now she's on Instagram. Or maybe she was always on Instagram. But I now follow her on Instagram. And that's where I've linked. Now, I don't know if it's Danny. I think it's Danny. It's Danny. Her name's Danielle, I think. Um, but it's Danny Adriana. And she is also Australian, so she might say that differently than I just said it. She's a fat activist. I've linked to her Instagram. Ivy Felicia, uh, she is a body piece and holistic wellness at every size coach. I should add the word coach, shouldn't I? I've like pulled from their Instagram, but then sometimes that means that I'm not speaking in full sentences. Jessamine Stanley is a yoga teacher and author. Sonia Renee Taylor is the author of The Body is Not an Apology, and I have linked to both of them. And Carissa Enneking is a queer, happy fatty. She's an influencer and a model on Instagram, and her handle is Fat Girl Flow. And I have linked to all of those people that I just mentioned. And uh, there are so many more that I have not linked to that maybe I don't even follow yet. So the list will keep growing. I'm still putting together a list of also of non-diet dietitians and other non-diet health at every size, weight inclusive practitioners and important books and hopefully other helpful resources that are going to help expand upon the fuck a diet and help people go deeper and get the help um, that they specifically need. And this list is going to be a digital resource resource that goes along with my book. Um, also, if you're not sure if you want to read my book in the first place, now I say this in the post, but I'm going to talk more about this in this episode anyway, because I am a whore when it comes to my book. Um, you can read a sneak peek of my book by going to my website, which is thefuckadiet.com or thefuckadiet.com slash sign up. And I send the first 10-ish pages of the book, which also include, beyond the 10 pages, include the um, table of contents, which gives you a pretty good overview of the things that I will be covering in the book, which can be helpful to know whether the book feels like it's right for you or not. Um, so that's the end of the post. I explained that I can't freaking curse in my blog posts anymore because I use them as podcast episodes too and iTunes censors curse words in the text. Excuse me, I'm like throwing up here. No, just... Ugh. I'm barfing of like disgust over iTunes. Okay. 
Uh, but that's why the name of my freaking podcast is The Freaking Effort Diet. All right, so that's that. So that's really important. And, you know, it's something that is always on my mind because I, I understand that privilege has allowed me a platform I didn't understand in the, in the beginning because I didn't really know what I was getting into, I guess. But it's become clear the more I've learned and the more I've listened and the more I've seen how this has unfolded, really, that I have been allowed to have a platform um, potentially and most likely because of the imbalance of power that I'm talking about. And so then the question becomes, should I not have a platform at all? And I I don't think that the answer is no, but I think the answer is talking about that because if I don't talk about it, then I'm just silently benefiting from the privileges that I have. And we can all apply that to ourselves too. And it doesn't mean that the work we aren't doing is good. It just means that we do need to be aware of the luck that we have and understand that that luck does not apply to everyone and to listen and learn from the people who don't have the privileges that we have. And with that being said, There is more to learn on my end about what I'm saying in the first place right now. So I'm willing to to do that and to learn even more about the best way to be a privileged person in this space talking about privilege, right? Okay, so we will, we, you and I will continue this conversation ongoing and again, Like I said, I really do hope that the book starts a conversation. It cannot finish the conversation, um, but I do hope that it starts it for the people who didn't even know that they needed to have the conversation. All right. I feel like I'm talking in circles. I feel like I'm like like afraid that I'm going to like say the wrong thing, which I probably did. And that's just something that I'm going to have to keep getting feedback on. Does that sound right? So what else do I want to say? Now, now, now's the part where I'm like, okay, but like buy my book. You know what? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. I'm going to read the table of contents of my book. Is that crazy? Book sample with, okay. So you can sign up for my book sample. You can see who I dedicated the book to. You can read the first 10 pages, but this is, these are the, this is the table of contents of my book. Introduction. This is not a diet book. Next, who this book is for. Then section one, why are we so addicted to food? Now, uh, irony of ironies, I spend a lot of time talking about how food addiction, you know, you're not addicted to food, right? But we do feel addicted to food genuinely. So I spent a lot of time basically contradicting myself because it's complicated because 
in a way, it, it's semantics. In a way, we are addicted to food because we need to be fixated on slash addicted to food. Now it's all about how pe- how faithfully people define the word addicted. Like, does addicted mean that you're using a substance substance that you don't need to survive as a coping mechanism, and that there, you ha- you're wired to to seek it out? Is that addiction to people, or is addicted something that you're wired to seek out? You can argue both ways, and people do. But basically, we are wired to fixate on food because we need it to survive. And so that feels like an addiction. And we are wired to fixate more and more and more and more on food the more diets we go on and the more restricted we are and the more rules and drama we have over food in our minds, it affects our bodies. And this happens on a very hormonal level. So we feel addicted to food in a way you could argue semantically that we are addicted to food. Why are we so addicted to food? All right. Let's go on a famine is the first thing I talk about. What would happen if you were in a famine? Um, Again, this isn't even addressing people who are like literally legitimately in a famine in this country because of poverty and the food scarcity that that creates. I mean, hunger is a problem in this country and people don't understand. And there's a lot of beliefs, like there are fat children who are experiencing food scarcity. And so people don't care or they don't understand that they, that those things can and do go together. And not only that, but they can actually affect each other like the assumption that when you're when you don't have enough food you are skinny that's not always the case because of weight set range and survival okay so the next thing i talk about is the minnesota starvation experiment which is fascinating then i say what is normal eating what are we even going for here explain what the fuck normal eating is. Then I talk about the big weight myth, what we believe about weight and health and why that isn't true and science to back it up. And then guess which industry makes $60 billion a year. I talk about a lot of corruption in the diet and pharmaceutical industries. Then I talk about the F word and it's not fuck, it is fat and why fat is allowed to be a neutral descriptor and why we have to change our relationship to fat and fatness in the first place. Then I talk about how your diet might be a cult and the, the parallels between dieting and religion or culty. Um, we know the right way, they know the wrong way. We are on the path to salvation and eternal life through our raw or paleo or keto or whatever diet and how the mentality there is the same. Then I talk about my own diets unraveling and how that led me to the fuck it diet. Then I talk, and then I address the uh, for the people who feel like they've already tried to heal their eating. What if you've already tried to heal your eating? And then to round out this section, I have an essay called "You're in Charge." Finally, as we go forward, you are in charge. And then the second half of the book is way longer, and it's called "How the Hell Do I Actually Do This." The first part is the physical part, and I give the first tool, which is about food. Then I talk about the noble role of weight. I talk about how you are not a car. It's not input versus output. 
I talk about our fear of hunger and how, and our fear of food and how that gets in the way. The diet pendulum swing, how you have to eat a lot after you've been restricting. It's the only way to get to a place where you can actually find real balance. I talk about eat when you're hungry and I also talk about why it's okay to eat when you're not hungry. That that is truly normal eating and that it's not that big of a deal. I talk about the trap of mindful eating because it's so easy to turn that into a diet. Why are we eating the smallest amount possible? I talk about how there's no perfect stopping point and we don't need to be so precious about it. The trap of seeking balance, thinking that it's going to look like balance right away is a trap and unhelpful. Our goal is to neutralize food because that is how we can truly listen once we truly neutralize food. Then I address the question, will I be eating this much forever? And I talk about, and the answer is no. Or the answer is yes, but it won't be so dramatic, but really no. No food is off limits. Your cravings are your friend. In defense of carbs and sugar, in defense of delicious and decadent food, in defense of salt, in defense of quote unquote shitty food, shitty diet food, which I do think the diet food is shitty because fuck you diet food. Purity doesn't exist. You don't need to go on a green juice cleanse. So many, many diet rules. Then I address the question, but what about my health? But I'm a binger. And for some reason, because I'm a fucking stupid and did a terrible job of, of actually copy editing this, and when I had the chance that, but what about my health does not have quotes on it, but I'm a binder does. Stupid Caroline, so stupid. What to actually do during a binge? What do you actually do? Doesn't the fuck a diet cause obesity? No. Um, and then again in quotes, which doesn't make any sense because um, all of these should have quotes, but really what if I have health problems? And then the second tool, tool, which has to do with rest. Then the next one is called the noble art of rest. And then what about exercise? How will you know this is working? And then this section ends with me talking about the wisdom of your body with a, an essay called Your Body is Freaking Smart. Then there's the emotional part where I talk about emotional eating versus binging. I talk about the emotions we avoid and how we have so many emotions about our weight, let alone a million other things. And then numbing, how humans use lots of things to numb. I talk about our fear of pain and how we can't avoid being human, sorry. Then I talk about this on a very, so when I talk about how we avoid our emotions, it's possible to be like, that's very woo-woo, Caroline. Like, I don't believe you. But then I talk about on a very basic primal survival fight or flight level that this is that actually what's happening when we don't feel is it gets stuck in our nervous system. So and this also has to do with fight or flight mode. So I talk about how we're all stuck in fight or flight mode and that the answer is getting back into the body and feeling. And I give the third tool, which is um, about getting back into the body and how to begin to feel what we have avoided feeling. Then I talk about the myth of stress and breathing. Then I say, you think you can hate yourself into improvement? You can't. Who can we blame? Talking about blame. What the fuck? 
maybe into is a tiny word, but sorry, I just saw something that might be another mistake. I'm just so sick of it, guys. Don't worry. The mist- you won't notice them. I hope you won't notice the mistakes that I notice. Okay. Who can we blame? Who can we blame? Who do we blame? Who do we be angry at? And then surrender to the messiness. Okay. The mental part, untangling the knot, untangling the messy knot of the mind. The fourth tool, which is the brain dump, the power of our beliefs, your beliefs become confirmation bias, mental restriction and binging. We all have our reasons that led us here. What we think being skinny will give us losing our identity as a dieter and as a person who cares about thinness and um, health. Why we panic the avoidable kind of pain. Not all pain is avoidable, but there is pain that is more avoidable than other pain. Uh, okay. I keep wanting to like answer, like I want to explain what all of the answer to all of these essays, but I, I can't. Okay. Because it would take me forever. Stop shooting all over the place. You can release your limiting beliefs and then the tool that will help you begin to do that. Nothing is a cure-all. Nothing, nothing, nothing is a cure-all. Not even the fuck a diet. Nothing is a cure-all that is dogma, dogmatic, black or white, dangerous way of looking at things. Um, especially assuming that the thing that you use to cure yourself is definitely going to be the thing to cure someone else, which you could argue is what I'm doing with the fuck a diet, but... Mm. Diet culture trauma, the luck of the thin, fat phobia. So those are all things that expand upon what I was writing about today in this blog post that I just read today on this on this episode. You are making mistakes too damn high. How to trust when you don't trust. Let it feel crazy if you need to at first. Waiting to not be hungry, which lots of people are doing, and it's allowed to be messy. And I end the previous emotional part saying surrender to the messiness and I end this saying it's allowed to be messy then the thriving part so once we're out of dieting life that diet life uh what do you stand for practical boundaries with food and weight frivolous downtime emotional and existential rest and become your own damn guru and that is it and then acknowledgments and all of my notes and references I have to pee so badly. I can't believe that I'm still recording this podcast. I don't even know what I'm doing. But before I go pee, this is what I want to say. (sighs) What I want, (laughs) what I want really is for people to buy my book. And especially I want people to pre-order my book. And so for the people who don't know if they even want to read my book in the first place, you can read the beginning and maybe that can help you decide whether it's worth reading my whole book because not everybody's going to like my writing style and my book and whatever. And that's totally fine. Um, so you can read the beginning of the book. You can find out how to sign up for it at the Next. If you do want to pre-order the book, I've said this a million times before, but it really does help the book. And it really does help me as an author. If I ever wanted to write another book, which I do, um, and it helps the reach of the book and it will help. I mean, it will help more people find out about why dieting is unhelpful and making things worse. Um, and diet culture in the first place and our obsession with thinness. 
And I think that that's something that we need. And so the more books about it that can become truly popular and truly pierce the mainstream, the better. Not just mine, but other people's too. But mine too, (laughs) right? Am I allowed to want that? I think so. I hope so. So there's that. And at thefuckadiet.com slash book, you can find lots of different uh, links and you can pre-order the book from Amazon. You can also pre-order the book from Amazon UK because it's coming out at the exact same time in the UK. It's coming out as a hardcover first in the US and a paperback in the UK. And that's just because of what the markets dictate. And I don't know. I don't know that part. I don't know market part. I don't know, like, well, you know what I'm trying to say. I don't even know how to fucking speak as we've just learned. Um, it's also coming out in audiobook in both. And I will be reading, I'm reading it and it will come out in the US and the UK as an audiobook with the same voice and the same accent because that's the way it should be. Um, and I'm reading the audiobook, obviously, because I just read it last week. Sorry, I'm like falling asleep and I have to pee and I have to go to acupuncture really soon. Okay, I'm a terrible podcast host. I don't even deserve this. This is why, this is why, this is why I need to start talking to other people because I think that me being the only person on this podcast has run its course. It served its purpose. It's time to move on. It's time to expand our horizons again. You can also order from Barnes & Noble. You can order from IndieBound and Books A Million and uh, Book Depository apparently will ship anywhere in the world. But the book will also be coming out, not at the exact same time, not not on March 20, 26th. God, guys, I really can't speak. Not on March 26th, but um, a little bit later, maybe a couple months later, I think, because they're just translating it now. They're translating it into Portuguese. It's going to come out in Brazil and Portugal. They're translating it into Spain, Spain, Spanish. It's going to come out in Spain. French. It's going to come out in France. Italian. 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 It's going to come out in Italy. And German. It's going to come out in Germany. Okay? I'm talking to myself. Okay? Is that it? Is that all? Which is very exciting, but I'm not sure yet when you're able to pre-order. So you can just keep, like, if you're interested to know when you can pre-order it in your um, country, I'm assuming that they'll tell me and that I'll post it on Instagram, but you can just keep checking. And if you want to pre-order the English version, um, by all means, I would never dream of stopping you. Um, yeah, there, th- that's basically it. Oh, and the very last thing is that when people do pre-order the book, if you pre-order, if you order it before March 26th or before the middle of March, say, I have pre-order bonuses that I've been talking about nonstop. I recorded three exclusive videos, meaning I do not have them anywhere else. They talk about the my story getting into the fuck a diet, a little bit of why I work with emotions and talk about emotions and what it has to do with our relationship to food and how it is the second biological survival process that we are messing with when we suppress our emotions. It's very similar to suppressing our hunger. And then the third one is about why I'm afraid to have a book. Um, not 
only a book, but a book on this topic that is so polarizing and that people are so crazy angry about. Even though I'm lucky, as I said earlier, to be in a privileged position where people are going to be less likely to attack me the same way that they would attack someone in a larger body or somebody who, you know, whatever fucking horrible bigoted people do and what they think they can attack people about. Um, it's still scary. And, and I want to know that I'm going to represent it well and that, that I'm going to um, actually be able to speak eloquently and, and do justice by how important I think I know that this topic is. So that's something that I talk about that I just fucking talked about. So, but I talk about it more. And then I had a live call that I, um, where I essentially, I did a fuck a tight crash course where I go, go guys, I should have peed. I should have just stopped this and peed. And then maybe I would be able to speak a little bit better, but it's too late now. I'm just going to finish this and then I'm going to, um, release you back to your life where you can talk to people who can actually freaking speak. Wouldn't that be nice? Fuck a diet crash course where I really go over the most important basic lessons that make up the fuck a diet. And then I answered questions from people who had pre-ordered the book and who were attending the call live. But if you pre-order the book, you will get a replay of that call as part of your bonus. And then the last bonus is a PDF download of a good chunk of the writing exercises from the book because I just went over the table of contents, but the table of contents does not include the writing exercises that are peppered throughout the book that are meant to help you take it off the page and work through some of these concepts and issues in your real life and to actually apply the things that I'm teaching. So you can find out how to sign up for the pre-order bonuses at thefuckadiet.com slash book. That's where you can find links to pre-order. And then at the bottom of that page, it will give you a button to click. Once you have pre-ordered the book, all you need is a screenshot or a picture of your receipt and you can sign up for the pre-order bonuses. I'm sick of hearing myself talk. I need to pee and I need to drink water and I need to eat lunch before I go to acupuncture. Guys, I don't deserve you as we've clearly learned. Not only do I not know how to speak, but I am like probably annoying to people. Certainly annoying to myself at this moment. I'll probably cut this all out, guys. I'll probably cut this all out. Bye.